Wolves and Dolly. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 218. Jason Lindgren is with me and Darren Colom. And if I pronounce your last name right, let's correct that right out of the gate. It's a heck of a thing, man. It's, we keep waiting for spring, but to this day, all the red maples in my area have no leaves. It is bizarre. The azaleas are blooming and they have no leaves. Very strange. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. Good morning, Crow. All right. Do we have anything or are we just going to do this thing? Well, you know, if the world would open back up, we might have more things to talk about. Seems like the trees are paying attention to us. I guess if the humans aren't going to move, the trees aren't going to do their thing or something. It's really bizarre. Maybe. <laughs> um, the trees have eyes. Um, anyhow, welcome, Darren. Oh, thanks for having me. Did I get your last name right? You nailed it. Okay, perfect. So to get in here... Darren is the chief science officer of the Walter Russell Museum. And uh, actually, Darren, instead of me trying to get it right, why don't you just introduce yourself and where you come from? Sure. I'm the uh, chief science officer for the University of Science and Philosophy, which is formerly the Walter Russell Foundation. And uh, I've been working for this organization since uh, 2016, uh, really pursuing the science angle of Walter Russell's cosmogony and trying to make it more accessible to the public, uh, easier to understand, and also to produce um, energy devices uh, predominantly, but also transmutation science and all of the things that uh, Walter's cosmogony encompasses. So what do you think, man? Should we do away with the internal combustion engine? We should already have Marty McFly's hoverboard, shouldn't we? (laughs) Well, science is is sort of a uh, pigeonholed to a certain process and that process is very slow right now if walter's science could have been accepted maybe 50 years ago we would probably have a very different reality right now that we're living in but um the combustion engine has had its time but i think we're seeing this this sort of push toward electric conversions and uh my work hopefully can help really speed that process up because it can basically eliminate need for the fossil fuel or the need to plug in your car (laughs) somewhere to recharge it. Walter says this is an electric universe and electricity is pretty much everywhere on this earth. We just have to have a device that can capture it and transform it, convert it into something that we can use without needing to consume a fuel uh, material in the process. Well, I'm with Walter all day long. I had come to that realization that electricity is the main force or the force in our world. And I bumped into Mr. Russell's work, I don't know, something like a year after that. But let's get into the nuts and bolts of things here. Um, I guess what it comes down to, is there a better way to describe the reality we exist in? For my part, I say all day long, yes, yes, yes. So let's take a look at Walter Russell's ideas about some of the basic things that science has a different uh, description things like light, gravity, the atom, these things we'll start with. Anyhow, let's let's start with light. Oh, I should, I should mention, most of the work of Russell that people are going to find in the Universal One um, comes from a 39-day illumination where he was said to have been in an illumination, just so people know, and they can check out his work. We'll give information where you can get it straight from the source, or even Amazon and other places have it, but I think we've got a, uh, a coupon code that we'll put on the site so let's get into light and uh, let's let's hear Russell's explanation. And um, we should make it clear, if someone understood electricity all the way, would it be safe to say they'd understand almost everything else? I mean, anything in the world that travels in a wave? Essentially, yes. Uh, Walter said to know the secrets of creation is to know the wave in its fullest. And he had that knowledge because, as you said, in his 39-day illumination, he In his words, he said he was taken behind the scenes uh, by God and shown how the universe actually comes into what we think is is reality. But basically what he teaches and what he learned in this experience was that we live in a mind wave universe. In, In other words, what we think is reality, what we call solid matter surrounded by uh, volumes of gases is actually just a simulation in electrical motion. So if you look at like how we perceive things, our eyes interpret electrical impulses of light, our nervous system interprets electrical impulses, and we, we convert that in our brain to feeling something solid. 
or something gaseous that we can just push right through. So essentially everything that you perceive in the universe is really can be boiled down to just an electrical wave, an electrical impulse uh, in your nervous system that records a pattern. And we can even hook people's brains up to EEGs and see electrical waveforms while the person is supposedly thinking or being conscious. So we know that electricity is intimately tied to consciousness. And Walter is is actually basing his entire cosmogony on this premise that everything is a mind wave projection from a still source and everything returns back to that source. So this is the alpha and the omega or life and death as we understand it. And it's also the explanation behind sex division and polarity, how everything in the universe exhibits male and female uh, attributes. Everything is divided from essentially a sexless, undivided equilibrium condition into a male uh, electric compressed condition and a female electric compressed condition. And those two interchange ad infinitum to create more male and female bodies in this uh, endless universe of repetition. So that's kind of a, sum, a summation real broad of his uh, approach to describing this. But it's, it's somewhat difficult because you have to have some sort of a spiritual unfolding to really know that these things are true. Because the nature of light can be known uh, directly without really having to go to school or study textbooks or anything like this that we think is knowledge. Knowledge can actually come directly from light because light in this sense is, is identical with mind. Mind and light are synonymous in the Russell cosmogony because they are the source of both matter and what we consider to be thought or thought waves, electrical thought waves. How much of what he was proposing, especially earlier on, was bucking the mainstream system? Oh, uh, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> and he was good friends with the editor of the New York Times. And so he published a series of articles where he essentially attacked the very foundation of modern science at that time in the 1920s. And he basically told them that, unfortunately, all of your theories of electromagnet electromagnetism and gravity Newton's theory of gravitation, the Coulomb law of uh, like uh, likes repel and opposites attract. He said all of these things need to be completely redefined, re torn apart, you know, start from scratch, essentially, because that's how wrong modern science is. They've built theories that really don't bear any resemblance to reality. And so instead of trying to patch it up, he just said, why don't we just start from scratch and I'll tell you how it really is. <laughs> You know, you know, it almost feels like modern science, it became kind of religious in its delivery at some point, but it almost feels to me uh, like it followed commerce. Modern science has become hyper-materiality. In a lot of ways, the commerce of the Western world became that. But let's get right into it here. I don't even know how long it's been that I've been describing uh, the sun is electric and the moon is magnetic. When I read the Universal One, uh, one of the things that jumped out at me right away was the idea that the force of our world is electricity, the daughter of that force being electromagnetism. And that resonated with me. So let's get into the true nature of light, according to Walter Russell. So light, as I was saying, is basically the, the omnipresent magnetic light. That's, that's his term for it. And that's what he called it. And it may take a student a little while to get used to Walter's language, especially in the Universal One. If you read some of his later works, you can see that he tried to make it a little more digestible for the lay man to, to comprehend. So he, he sort of uh, drops some of the more technical terms and he just starts referring to things as male and female or things that are analogies that are kind of easier to comprehend. But essentially, if you can understand that the, the, that light is never, never moves, it's, it's static, it is the fulcrum if you can think of a lever and a fulcrum type of uh, mechanical system, the fulcrum never actually moves, but the lever can oscillate on that fulcrum and produce uh, a lot of work, especially if you shift that lever so that you have a longer end and the end where you want the work to be done is the shorter end. We, we call this mechanical advantage. Well, in electricity, there is exactly the same phenomenon. Our sun is essentially the compressed or the shorter end of the lever, 
that exhibits a tremendous amount of power, but the, the, the real power comes from the static source, the mind. Everything is basically a simulation of mind, and mind is static and, and not moving. So you have to divide that static condition into multiple dynamic conditions in order to express the idea. So creation is exactly like creating a painting. You have to conceive it first. The universe had to have been conceived first before it was given a body form, exactly the same way that we conceive a painting before we actually start putting the paint on the canvas. And so God, in this essence, is the the master creator uh, because he can concentrate and create uh, suns which beget solar systems and solar systems essentially as they divide create all life as we understand it biological life so it's all the same process of creation and it's always continuing and it never stops because god never ceases to think so this is what the true nature of light is light we think is a, is a is either a wave or a particle in modern science but it's actually 100% a wave, and I would say it's beyond that, it's actually a wave sphere of light, and spheres are curved. So we get into this whole idea that magnetism has curvature to it that they call magnetic lines of force, but it's actually the light waves that are bending, not magnetism. So magnetism doesn't really exist the way modern science conceives it. They think a magnet... Uh, or a piece of material with a coil around it, it produces a magnetic field, but it's actually a light field. It's an electrical field bounded by a magnetic plane of zero curvature. Let me know if I'm going a little too fast here, but this, these are the terms that Walter uses to, to describe basically how electromagnetism is misconceived. It's really electricity is the thing that exists, and we interpret electricity as magnetism in almost all cases. Well, in the book, The Universal One, there are a plethora of hand-drawn kind of diagrams to help people along. When you first look at the first one, it takes you a minute to wrap around it. But I think for me, the complexity of the science we're used to, what was blocking me, when I simplified down to thinking as simply as breathe in, breathe out, all of a sudden, I got a lot more out of those diagrams. But let's think about this for a second. Part of the woes for me, uh, following modern day science, is the number of theories that never get proved. And one of the main theories that gets treated like a law, which is not a law, is gravity. Can't see it, can't smell it, can't prove it. As a matter of fact, if you look honestly at gravity, what you will find is it's a theory based on a theory. And to me, a theory is an idea. And the longer that theory has been along, you know, around in our world, it's the longer that it couldn't have been proven or it would no longer be a theory. That's the way I view theories to the point where when I hear theory now, I kind of throw a pinch of salt over my shoulder, literally. So let's get into Walter Russell's idea of gravity, which currently, as described by science, uh, exists, but in fact is a theory based on a theory. Oh, yeah. And there's, there's so many theories of gravitation. Um, I've even heard of uh, quantum gravity as a theory, because essentially what it boils down to is where modern science is right now, is we have one theory that describes very, very large objects in, in the universe, such as planets and suns. Um, then we have a, a different set of mechanics for when we go past a certain distance, things all of a sudden have a completely different set of mechanics, which we call quantum mechanics, where things are very, very small and subatomic. And We've been trying, our physicists have been trying to slam these two theories together into some kind of unifying theory so that we can understand the entire universe. Well, the real problem with this right out of the gate is that um, you, can't, you can't have one set of mechanics for large and a different set of mechanics for very small and expect to make sense out of it. it should, the universe should be one set of creation mechanics that creates everything. And this is really what Walter is trying to teach us is this process by which everything is created, because then we can understand, like you said, if you understand just the in-breathing and the out-breathing and how that is part and parcel to everything that is creating, because everything is breathing in and breathing out, even our sun, we can start to see how the universe is actually all connected instead of where science is right now, which is they don't see any connections and they're, they're just grasping at the dark to try to get there. So a good example is, is gravitation, because Newton 
essentially saw the apple fall and he real he thought or he hypothesized that well matter has mass which is a certain amount of stuff and that matter will attract other matter and so he saw the apple fall toward the earth and he thought well okay so the earth is massive and it must be pulling it it's basically gravity says objects pull toward each other because they have mass well walter said something really really important which is that newton didn't sit there and watch the apple decay and turn into a gas because if he did he would have seen that the gas actually moves up it goes towards space it moves in a direction against gravity and if you look at a tree a tree gets water or moisture from the ground up into the canopy and so there again there's another process by which the tree stays completely cool and yet it moves water against the direction of gravity so gravity can't be an attraction of mass to other mass and this is exactly what walter says he says gravity is not matter attracting or pulling inward toward other matter the reality is is that gravity is the same everywhere it's omnipresent, just like mind is. And it will only exhibit a pull or a push when there is a, either a centripetal compression spiral or a centrifugal expanding spiral. And actually, the two are always present in all effects of motion because you can't create one without the other. They're, they're both necessary. So gravity has a much deeper understanding in Russell's science because we actually understand what really causes it and we're not fooled by our senses because newton only saw one half of the equation just the the the, the, the pulling side he didn't see the other side <laughs> so he, he doesn't know about it and as you said it's a theory of a theory so we've basically just been teaching this dogmatically to physics students uh since the since then i'll, I'll tell you what man it, why couldn't it have been anything but an apple you know we get it in the garden of eden we get it with newton we get it with the beetles and now we get it with computers I think it's an interesting idea, the way that Russell takes it beyond just the physical existence of the apple. Um, clearly, there's a lot more to the cycle of a thing than just it fell on the floor, right? Um, so he follows it all the way to the decay and what happens at that point. But as we move along, if we're talking about decay, let's talk about Walter Russell's view of the atom, which for people following, quite often in some of the more kind of occult things we lay down, uh, the name Adam, A-A-D, not A-T, um, is often equated in the same way, being the first, the almost primal material in the way it gets talked about. But what is Walter Russell's view of the atom? So essentially, he, he says that, first of all, you can, you can basically deconstruct the Rutherford Bohr uh, model of the atom, which is sort of the... Uh, the proton nu neutron nucleus with the electrons orbiting around it. He says, if you look out into the solar systems uh, in the universe, uh, nothing nothing orbits a central primary star, star or a nucleus of any kind in in the way that electrons supposedly orbit an atom's nucleus. It uh, it doesn't go up and over the north pole and down over the, under the south pole, up and over. Uh, nothing nothing really ever does that in the universe. So he says that the whole concept is really kind of laughable, <laughs> that there could be these electrons and shells that are orbiting a nucleus. So let me jump in here just to be clear. What you just described was the science view uh, that Walter says is non-existent. Um, but as, as you describe out, let's be clear, are there particles? Because that's what people are thinking when you say atom, or are we back to waves? Well, uh, you can think of it this way, is that every particle had to have been compressed first. To, to be solid. In other words, uh, we think a particle is just a point of mass with a bunch of uh, gases around it. And you can only ever create that compressed point by uh, wave compression. So in essence, every particle has a wave uh, guiding it or controlling it at all times for the exact same reason that your mind constantly controls your body uh, from the inside and the outside. So when we look at the physical construction of, of the real atom, the, the Walter Russell atom, you will find that there is only one element that has an actual compressed center mass, and that is carbon. Every other element other than carbon has actually a vacuous, empty hole at the center. And I can prove that. There was a, 
scientist by the name of Erwin Mueller in the 50s. He was working at Penn State, and he photographed an atom for the very first time. And he took a needle of tungsten, and he essentially imaged it using a process called field ion microscopy. You can look that up. And basically what you'll find is an atom of tungsten is, uh, has no nucleus. At the very center is just a black, empty hole. And that black, empty hole is actually mined. So mind centers every single atom the same way that mind centers every single cell of your body. Uh, consciousness in this sense is, is equally distributed everywhere in the universe, even in the center of an atom. All right. Well, before I throw it back over to Jason, I got to say, if Walter Russell is correct, uh, we're all living in a fantasy world um, is, <laughs> is what's striking me. But you want to get in here, Jason? So when they photographed an atom, what response did that make with the comparisons with Russell's work? Essentially, the day that Erwin Mueller posted those photographs to the scientific community should have been the day that the Rutherford Bohr model of the atom or any solid nucleus theory uh, should have been thrown in the trash. But I'm sure everybody can tell you that basically we still teach this model today. Uh, I learned it when I was in school. So the physical evidence of of his experiment was as far as i can tell completely ignored even though it actually completely agreed with russell's model uh it proved it actually um but we still have this concept that uh that an atom has a material center uh to this day and that's that's kind of falls into the category of that dogma uh, that we were talking about before that science is in for whatever reason it's too difficult to uh to change the model i guess and they think that there's enough proof of it even though there really isn't so it's one of those things it's like you believe it or you don't and i i looked at erwin Mueller's work and i saw that it completely verified russell's principle and there the, there was another experiment too that came out i think in 2012 or 11 where they actually imaged a hydrogen atom for the first time and it looks exactly like a painting that Walter Russell made in 1957. It's identical. So we're talking, Walter knew this uh, way before science ever actually even verified any of this. And there's, there's many of those kinds of examples. If you come to our museum in Virginia, when we open up again, you can see these paintings for yourself and see how remarkably similar they are to the, the hydrogen wave function that they came out with just just a few years ago well a couple things strike me um it's almost like the system has been designed to hold up these kind of religious materialistic ideas um some of what einstein did with mickelson and morley is that mickelson and morley did things that can apparently be reproduced and einstein einstein dismissed them he did things like dismiss the uh the ether idea which had been around forever but what's kind of astonishing about all this is we're getting back to the theory. It almost seems like, how, how come someone hasn't come up with a rule that if a theory hangs around for like five years, it's got to be re-examined? If it can't be proved, then you know something's got to be done here. But that's really not what we see. We've got theories kicking around that are older than I am at this point. But did you want to go somewhere else there, Jason? I kind of jumped in where you were going. Well, based off of what we've already discussed, Hypothetically, where would we be if science had been taking Russell's work seriously as opposed to plunging headlong with their more blunt way of doing what I will loosely call science? Well, I can tell you, basically, we would have scientists who understand both spiritual aspect of reality and also the materialist, how, how material comes into existence. Uh, from that spirituality. And so we would have scientists basically like walking around that could do what Jesus did by turning water into wine, or really what that means is transmutation. You could turn water into oil. You could turn water into silver. You could turn water into gold. You could essentially have complete control over matter. And what Nikola Tesla said is the day that our scientists understand how to cause matter to come out of the ether and dissolve it back into the ether at will will be the day that we have essentially achieved our uh, the right, the birthright of our godlike nature, because we can control matter to that extent. And that's 
the kind of thing that I'm talking about. That's, that's where we would be right now. We would have no shortage of materials. The concept of a lack of resources would be completely nullified. Uh, there would be no need for war because we could destroy missiles remotely from any position on the planet. The same way we can use radar to detect where an object is from anywhere on the planet. We could create unlimited energy. We could get it from the sun directly uh, in a more efficient process than solar cells that we currently have. We could directly turn the static condition of the magnetic light into an electrical current with no moving parts. All of these things become reality if you start to seriously entertain Russell's cosmogony because it's more accurate of a description of reality than modern science is, which is sort of fiction in a lot of ways. See, this is where we're really getting into it. And this seems to be one of the main thrusts of modern science to separate out any spiritual idea, to separate that wholesale out and get to materialism alone which seems to have hit a brick wall in our time. But there was another natural science, which sounds a lot like what you're describing. And that's what we currently call alchemy, the idea of a prima materia, the idea of being able to transmorph things one into the other into the other. The idea that there is no elemental table, which Walter Russell also challenged the current table of elements. But in the older kind of philosophical views of what we call alchemy, there's a similar thing going on there that tries to take a more natural perspective, but it marries the fact that all human beings have a spiritual component. And without that component, they're unwhole. So, I mean, we could almost say that um, what science has done is forced people to surrender the spiritual component and become very materialistic in its view. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, that's very well said. If you don't know the, the true source of where all universal ideas come from, then you will always have a theory that just begins with matter. And you need to have an understanding that begins with non-matter or non-materiality or non-physical, because everything that exists physically came out of a non-physical condition that we call space. Think of it this way. The sun is just about the hottest thing that we know of. And it came out of vacuum space, which is just about the coldest thing that we know of. Now, we have a law of thermodynamics that says that uh, basically entropy is king and everything is going to pieces. But how could that be true if the sun, which is the hottest thing possible, came out of space, which is the coldest thing possible? So therefore, any logical person, whether they're educated in science or not, should be able to put it together that, oh, well, heat comes from cold, not the other way around. So our, our, we're all confused in our science because we think heat is energy, but energy is actually in the static condition of cold because all energy comes from cold and goes back to it. Just the same way that when you die, you radiate your body heat back into the environment from which you were born from. You send, you send your pieces all back to where it came from just so so you can start over again. It's a never-ending cycle process. You know, there's there's certain questions that any human being can come up with that are very basic, and they've probably been around as long as human beings have. And this is what's so frustrating about the modern era and the kind of control of what's acceptable information, which has been going on for my lifetime. We just didn't really start to realize it till near the turn of the millennium as much as we do now. And one of those things is there, I kept coming across this old Eastern claim that mind preceded everything. And so I put it to the test. Uh, I said, I'm truly going to test this. I'm going to give everything I got to see if it's true. And it's true. You can't punch a hole in that. Mind does precede everything, everything that's going to happen. Now, when we get back to thinking about what I opened up with in an offhand way, how come the trees don't have any dang leaves on them right now? They're over a month overdue. And if it is true that our mind is proceeding all and that consciousness is really the creative force, um, right now the entire world is in a funk, isn't it? And we could almost put a label of what kind of funk that is. It's fear. It's permeating at a level that I don't think we've ever seen. The level of fear radiating from human minds all over this world. And you got to wonder, is this having an effect on the actual natural world that we see? And I, I can't answer it. But I know damn well that it's maybe possible. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. 
when you think about the power of just one single human mind, look at look at everything Walter did. Uh, he, he lived to be 92 years old, and he was a masterful artist. He mastered all five of the fine arts. Um, he lived what a lot of people considered five lifetimes in one and was masterful at everything he did. And if you realize how powerful one human being can be, and then you start to think, well, what if we're all collectively going through the same kind of trauma, if I can use that word, it's somewhat traumatic. And as you said, that fear permeates. So I think, yeah, absolutely. I think that the, the consciousness of a mass group of people can change everything. And I think even Rupert Sheldrake did a experiment uh, with random number generators. And actually, at, when people all uh, meditated at the same time, there was a, there was a, there was a discrepancy in the ran supposedly random numbers generated. So I think that proves yet again that consciousness uh, can cause physical changes in reality because for no other reason than all physical matter comes from that non-physicality, as I was saying, first, and then goes back to it. So we're constantly, mind is at the center of everything and also from the outside controlling it. It's from within and from without. There are so many signs all around us, but we kind of take them for granted until we stop and someone points it out. In episodes past, we pointed out a much older idea of 90 degrees being the angles of sorrow, which was accepted in many places, apparently back in the day. The perfect equilateral triangle, would that be 60 degrees or is it 120? I don't know. I'm not a big math geometry guy. But the point is, is the angles there being the angles of joy. And one of the ways it was described is if you shot energy down both sides of a 90 degree, when they met that corner, they would clash. And that represented the sorrow or a way to describe the sorrow, where is, whereas with the triangle, if you thought of a Y and energy coming down, it would converge to go down the tail of the Y, those being the angles of joy. But when you blow that out, why is it that we just live in boxes and rectangles? They're not beautiful. They're so much lower than other buildings. Let's take, for example, um, Notre Dame Cathedral. Has anyone ever seen a higher expression in a building from the human mind? I have not. It's like a path laid down in stone and glass at a level that is almost mind-blowing. Every time I see the old pictures of things of some of these cathedrals that I know preceded Christianity, which is not what we're told, by the way, in most cases, some of them were not. But when you see that, you can imagine if, if you accept the timeline, a 12th century person walking into a building like that must have been thunderstruck with awe at what the human mind had conceived and built there. But how is it that we can look all the way back at 1000 AD supposedly, or even 1100 AD supposedly, and see an expression at that level and then come up to where we are now? We're all living in these little cheesy boxes and rectangles with drywall from China. And we can even take this in between to go back to the capital of the United States, where recently I heard a learned man describe that every beautiful building that you see there in the old classical style is constitutional. Everything that's come since doesn't look or have that beauty about it, and it's unconstitutional. It's almost to the point where we've forgotten that you can observe our surrounding buildings, things that the human mind is creating, and kind of gauge where we are. And if that's a correct observation, man, have we fallen. I mean, what would you add to that? Yeah, I, I agree. Walter said a world without artwork where aesthetic beauty is, is kind of uh, soulless. It's devoid, you know? So for him, it was the, it was like being next, to, if you were making a beautiful painting or something, it was like being in the ecstasy of this creation because you are a part of that creation. You see, we are not separate, separated from this universe. In fact, we create this universe along with God. We are co-creators along with the master creator in this and what i mean by that is your mind is the universal mind to the extent that you know your universality so this kind of goes back to walter's illumination during those 39 days he was not body centered as we normally consider human beings he was holy mind he became free of the confine of physical limitation he became purely imaginative, <laughs> if you will. And this is where that knowledge, that true 
cosmic knowledge can come into us during those periods of illumination or even just inspiration. People say, oh, I was, it came to me out of, the, out of the blue, just hit me like a bolt of lightning. Well, where do you think that comes from? You know, it comes from your mind and your mind is God's mind. It's all the same one mind. It's crazy to consider that, you know, if we take something, I guess I won't say mundane, but if we take something like architecture, um, you can almost gauge entirely where a civilization is based on that idea. If you think about cathedrals or the Capitol building things or what we currently build. And uh, it's ironic to me that Russell had mastered the five or the seven arts. I've heard it described both ways. What we're talking about is the ingenious beauty of the human mind being expressed into reality. Um, and that's really what's missing right now, isn't it? Uh, there's not a lot of beauty being introduced into the world in architecture or in many, many facets of what we, well, do we even really have in arts as they were once described? Yeah. And for me personally, I think music is one of the highest ways of expressing ideas and emotions. I mean, it's a very human thing, I feel like, you know, to, to create art. And when you understand the bigger picture, the universality, like I was saying, you understand why that is such a passion, because you can look at the universe itself as an artistic expression of God's one idea of love, if you will, expressed in an infinite number of ways. That's, that really is what reality is. It's the idea of love expressed in basically infinite numbers of ways. Well, we're here at Music, Jason. Um do we, do we want to go down this road or should we go somewhere else? By the way, Jason and I have brought up a lot of times um, the ideas of music and how we've arrived at rap. We track it a lot of times through the 60s up through the 70s when punk rock and kind of electronic disco hit, then up through the 80s, then in the 90s where there seems to be another big fall off, which we could correspond to the original kind of new wavy punk rock era. It's almost like they mirrored each other in a weird way and we've demonstrated these things. But I think there's, it's the same idea all over again. You can look around at the beauty of architecture to kind of gauge where a civilization is. You can do the same thing with music. And if you take current things like rap and you were to annotate it out in sheet music and compare it back to something like Beethoven, I mean, it's night and day, but you want to get in on this, Jason? Yeah, well, music is humanity's one way to express waveforms directly as opposed to any other thing like sculpture or, or building something or anything to that effect. Music, you can actually have waves come from your consciousness and express directly. And I'm assuming that would be right in line with the concepts that Russell put out there. Absolutely. And he, he did master music himself. In fact, he was able to play the piano with one finger and play melodies uh, as a child. I will tell you that some people, I've heard stories that Leo Russell said that he was Mozart reincarnated was probably some truth to that because he was also Leonardo da Vinci reincarnated. He had several lifetimes, as we all do, but he was uniquely prepared for what he had to do in the lifetime as Walter Russell because he was supposed he was chosen to give mankind a new scientific understanding of the universe, which is no small task. You need to be prepared for that kind of thing. Because a full cosmic illumination is probably one of the most rarest of all human experiences right up there with Christ consciousness. And we know that there's only been a handful of Christ conscious beings on this planet. And we know that because they've all started religions. <laughs> and what would it take to get this out there to start getting his ideas functioning in a more mainstream way? I think the internet can help in that regard just by letting people know who Walter Russell was, because he's largely ignored and buried, uh, especially in the sciences. And there may be nefarious reasons behind that, but that sort of was before my time, so I'm not really sure if there's truth to that or not. But basically, he nobody really knows who he was. Just like just, just a few years ago, nobody really knew who Nikola Tesla was either, until Elon Musk came out with a car that bears his name now everybody, you know, you see him in movies, you see him all over the place now, and people have an idea of what he did. But prior to that, nobody knew who Tesla was, uh, not even electrical engineers. I talked to an electrical engineer one time and said, I went through my whole schooling and never even heard the name Tesla. And that's horrifying because Tesla invented our modern AC distribution system. It all came from one man. Right. 
<laughs> we don't even know who that guy was up until a few years ago. Yeah, I got a better question. How does a corporation just go ahead and co-opt his name? <laughs> you know, you think about that whole thing, but I don't want to sidetrack here. Go ahead. Well, anyway, so just to bring the point to why Walter is not more widely known, I think it's it's because he was so radically ahead of his time, just like Tesla was, that we may not fully appreciate his gifts and his contributions to humanity until, you know, a thousand years from now, when science is actually caught up to where he was in the 20s. <laughs> Here's the thing that strikes me about the conversation we just had, and it kind of echoes back to how we've been taught to think. If you talk about reincarnation, a lot of minds are going to snap closed. And even in the, the minds that are snapping closed, um, there's actual version of that. The idea of even the Christian view, where you're dead and then you're in heaven and you're alive again. Well, technically, that's kind of like reincarnation described a different way. And I've tried to describe a few times this world is almost like a boot camp. Like, we got to do these things. And I've described it as hardship and all these other kind of unpleasant tests that are going to be part of it. And you look at all these older traditions where they come to this idea. But I think most people in the, in the current age don't have the view that when you die, that's it. Lights out, it's black. You were, you're no longer, that's it. End of the line. I think most people don't have that view. And from my extensive research over my last time or over my life's time, I find that all the other cultures have versions of humans go on from here. And I think these are important things to think about because when we begin to say words like reincarnation, it's like saying astronomy or astrology. It's these words are loaded because of the way we've been taught to think about them. Mm -hmm. And a big part of Russell's work, I think, is clearing the slate and looking at it honestly and realizing that the simplicity that is really not that simple is astounding. At first, when you look at the diagrams that Russell laid down, you're all, how do, how do I even deal with this? I, I, I don't know if I can deal with this. And then you begin to realize, wait a minute, it's not that complicated. And by the way, once I grasp the ideas on the first one, they carry through to the very last one. And I think these are important things to point out because and so often when Jason and I are covering topics, it's that one word and all the minds start snapping shut, yet they're thinking in a different way about the very topic. And I just think it's important to uh, to get that in there. But Jason, I know we're getting close. Do you want to get something in before we wrap up our one? Well, I really like the concept that the macro and the micro are actually being approached from the same way because in mainstream science, things that are called astrophysics and quantum physics seem to work in very different ways. Oh, absolutely. In the quantum realm, there's all kinds of uncertainties. You can't know positions and velocities of particles. There's all kinds of constraints and rules that somehow don't apply once you get to the size of a planet or uh, a moon even. And so something is very wrong here, in my opinion, <laughs> because you, you should have, if you have a unified theory or a unified understanding, let's just forget theory for a second, then you should be able to explain the small stuff right along with the big stuff. And that's exactly what you'll find in Walter's work. You will find a seamless, consistent, workable cosmogony that has no holes in it. Because if your theory has holes in it, it can't be that close to reality. If it has exceptions, then you don't have a complete understanding. But somebody will come up with some complicated math for it. Well, I've spent a lot of time around physicists, and they are one of the most egotistical people <laughs> that I've ever met. That's so my I think point. It's because <laughs> they're the only ones that understand the nonsense. Like, well, well to, I, to, to create higher mathematics that almost nobody understands is right. to me a form of intellectual masturbation. Right. And that's that's really what that's where a lot of physicists are, and they're stuck in rooms under fluorescent lights instead of being out in nature. So they're already approaching the problem as if they are not part of the universe. And, I, and that's where they're going wrong right at, at the beginning, because a person who's out in the woods looking at the stream flowing, hearing the, the, the wind pushing the trees around, he's already closer to understanding the wave nature of the universe than a physicist inventing new mathematics that nobody will understand. You know, I can, I can still remember back to my junior high school math teacher who was a math specialist in his career, who informed us all that physics was working to get this one short, elegant, little 
equation that described mm-hmm. it all. The grand unified theory. Right. Unified it all. And that was coming in our lifetimes. We were so lucky because we were going to be alive to see this. But in essence, what's actually happened is it's gone the other way. It's become completely theoretical. Nothing is getting solved. The equations are getting longer. Every time they can't balance an equation, they invent another particle. So we now have a particle zoo. And it's really gone the other way, hasn't it? But in my mind's eye, I can remember that day where he was writing on the board and he informed us all, you guys are going to be alive when that magical, short, elegant equation does it all. And we have gone exactly in the opposite direction. Yeah, it's true. And they they still teach that there are four fundamental forces. You got electromagnetic, gravitational, and then the weak and the strong nuclear forces. Well, I can tell you immediately that there is no strong or nuclear force because they invented those forces to compensate for the fact that the atom holds itself together when you have uh, positively charged protons, which supposedly repel each other, but they're all smashed together in the nucleus. So how can they be that close to each other if the Coulomb law is correct, which says that opposites attract and like charges repel? So if I have a positively charged proton right next to a positively charged proton, it, they should throw themselves apart, but they don't in reality. <laughs> so they invented this force. They said, oh, there must be a nuclear force in there that uh, is holding it together like a, like a super glue. But this, this is just made up. It's not real at all. And so you can eliminate two of the fundamental forces that they think are at play immediately. So they're, they're all hopelessly confused and they won't, they will not unify anything until they understand the basics of how creation works. Well, they're just trying to balance equations. It's like the nonsense dark matter. We don't know how this works. So we're just going to invent a giant variable to throw in there then our equations will balance and we'll all celebrate. Maybe we've all just stumbled on the real danger of fluorescent lighting here. Um, It goes on and on. We could do this all day. You know, we're told that all of nature came from an explosion and yet nature doesn't utilize explosions. The, The real thing in our life that utilizes explosions is our internal combustion air engine, which can be shown to be basically against nature, pouring corruption out the tailpipe. I'd actually like to tee us up for something in hour two. What could we do, I don't know if we is necessarily the correct term, but what could be done to start proving that Russell's cosmogony is actually the reality? What demonstrations could be done to start smashing mainstream science and showing, actually, this is right? Let's carry that over. Let's open up with uh, the second hour of 218 with that. Darren, can you tell people how people can get a hold of you um, if you want to provide an email? And by the way, if you provide an email, you're going to get an onslaught. You want to provide a website. I'm just warning you. And also, you'll be able to show up in comments if that's the way you choose to interact. But other than that, go ahead and lay down what you will. Okay. If you go to philosophy.org and then under faculty, I have a page there, chief science officer. So it's philosophy.org forward slash chief dash science dash officer dot html and that will take you to my page you can find a little bit about my work here but mostly there is a list of media appearances and i've done a quite a few number of lectures and interviews they can all be found hyperlinked on that page all right are you accepting direct contacts or would you prefer just to show up in the comments under this episode I'll be honest with you, I used to have my email on that page, and then I got contacted by some undesirable folks. (laughs) So if you want to get a hold of me directly, just send a contact form in on the philosophy.org website, and somebody will get a hold of me. Okay, we totally understand. We know what that's like, particularly when you're trying to push what I consider to be common sense. For some reason, there is a polarity in this world that is very, very against common sense. But that does bring the first hour of 218 to a close. We hope you'll join us all for the second hour. We're going to open up right where we left off, and we have a huge list we've barely dented. Uh, Join us at crow777radio.com. That's C-R-R-O-W 777radio.com. That is the only Crow site. There are fraud sites out there doing bad things. We keep waiting for PayPal to drop the hammer on the fraud that's going on on the other ones. We'll see what happens. Uh, But again, join us at crow777radio.com for hour two of 218 with the chief science officer of the Walter Russell Museum. We got a lot to cover and there's a lot of common sense to lay down. There it is, man. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing. Come.